Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Filion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, we take you inside Russia's highly secured mission on the Upper East Side and try to see the world how Moscow views it. This is the third episode of Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. Stephanie, for your monthly column on the Security Council presidency, you try to talk to every ambassador, including the P5. That's the five permanent members of the council who have veto power, Britain, China, France, Russia, and the United States. How difficult is it to interview the P5 ambassadors? I've been writing this column for over a year now, and in general, the P5 are always the most difficult ones to try to interview. Last year, China and the U.S. just ignored our request, and France only answered questions via email. Karen Pierce, the U.K. ambassador, was the only P5 diplomat to make herself available. So our hopes were quite low for the Russian presidency in September. And I was surprised when I got a call from the press office of the Russian mission to set up an interview with Ambassador Polanski, who was the charge d'affaires for the month of August. Right. So Ambassador Polanski is the first deputy permanent representative. That means he's the number two behind Ambassador Vasily Nebenzia. But he says their roles are basically interchangeable. When Nebenzia is present, Polanski doesn't deal with Syria, the DPRK, and other issues. But when Nebenzia is not at the UN, Polanski has to cover everything. Either way, Russia is a very powerful member of the council. Powerful not only politically, but also in terms of media coverage. Since they already gather a lot of attention, they tend to be picky when it comes to speaking to journalists. And that's not true for every country in the Security Council, right? That's right. The 10 non-permanent or elected members tend to use the presidency to project their voices in the international arena. So what's on Russia's agenda for the presidency this month? Well, first of all, Russia's usual top priority at the UN, combating terrorism. Also, the council has a long list of renewing the mandates of peacekeeping missions, including Afghanistan and Libya. There will also be the usual meetings on the Middle East, on Yemen, Syria, and Israel-Palestine. But so far, nothing on Iran. And President Putin will not be coming to the UN for the presidency or the General Assembly. One thing that is not on the agenda is the UN Board of Inquiry on the attack of medical facilities in Syria that is hanging over their heads. Russia says it is ready to answer questions on that when it comes up. But Russia did answer a lot of your questions, Stephanie, and that's a huge deal. Well, don't get me wrong. We had to work a lot to get them to talk to us. But Ambassador Polanski was very generous with his time, even meeting with us in the middle of an emergency council session on Kashmir. So this interview must have been valuable to Russia. Ambassador Polanski told us he is unhappy with the media coverage Russia gets in the West. As you'll hear, he blames it on what he calls the post-truth world. So in this interview, we gave him the opportunity to tell us why he thinks the West gets Russia wrong and help us see the world through Russia's eyes. And I just have to say, talking with him was fascinating. Americans have this fixation on Russia, from television shows like Chernobyl and Stranger Things to the near constant news coverage of election interference. And by the way, Polanski did tell us he enjoyed Stranger Things because he thought it was funny. But on everything else, he says we're totally missing the mark. 
How Americans see Russia is not how Russia sees itself. And perhaps more interesting, what does one of the most important Russians in America right now think of us? I'm with Charge d'Affaires Dmitry Polanski of Russia, who has been filling for Russian ambassador for the month of August. Uh, so hello, Ambassador Polanski. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, as I just said, you're representing Russia for the month of August while the permanent representative is on vacation. How are you enjoying being uh, the number one in New York City? Well, it's not the place to enjoy, frankly speaking, because it's hard work. There are a lot of very interesting things that are happening there. But on the other hand, it implies that uh, you are always online, you are always working. So my working day is from 8 a.m. till uh, 11 p.m. Sometimes you have to work even on days off. Uh, you're always uh, ready to answer questions and to present positions on certain issues. And this is, of course, tiring. So this is not a very normal diplomatic post. It's not like in bilateral embassies. It implies uh, much more responsibility and uh, much more standby functions than, uh, than elsewhere. Was being posted in New York uh, one of your dream? Never. Where was it when you started? Frankly speaking, I didn't very much favor idea of going to the United States. I was here several times. It's a very nice country, but it's not very much to my liking because of history, because of our bilateral relations, uh, which remain very weird and strained and not through our fault. And uh, I'm not a city boy, so I like more nature. I like more open spaces. Uh, New York is nice, but it's very urban, and there's only Central Park where you can really feel that this is kind of nature in reservation. Uh, so I, I prefer Europe, I prefer Russia, I prefer Asia. But we'll, we need to distinguish between New York as a place where the headquarters of United Nations is and uh, United Nations itself. So frankly speaking, I don't see much of New York. I'm here almost two years. So during these two years, I didn't have a single opportunity uh, to visit uh, downtown, for example. So it's kind of very busy work, or maybe labor even, I would call it. And uh, you just understand why you are here, why it is important for you, for your country, and that's the particularity of this job. Uh, so that was one question I wanted to ask you, actually. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the history between Russia and the United States. Uh, on a personal, individual basis, how is it to represent Russia in the United States, to be a Russian in the United States? It's very challenging, but uh, as regards re relations between ordinary people and us, uh, they're very friendly, people are very curious, they're asking us questions. We don't take it personally, of course. Uh, we have problems not with the American people, but uh, with the, some part of the American elite. It's a very strange situation, you know, because, uh, well, when I was a kid, I grew up in Soviet Union, so I remember quite well uh, that country. And I remember the animosity that was there between the Soviet Union and the United States, and I understand the basis for this animosity. It was more ideological, uh, and I understand that the communist ideology was uh, targeting uh, capitalist countries, uh, trying to uh, to promote world, uh, world revolution. So I can logically understand why capitalists, let's put it this way, countries, Western countries, were afraid of Soviet Union and were trying to somehow protect themselves. But now, if you look at Russia, you will see that Russia is the uh, same democratic state uh, as uh, as all the others, so it has, has also capitalist economy. People are free, people can travel. So uh, objectively, there are no more reasons for any animosity or any uh, attitude towards Russia that we feel here in the United States, but it is still there. So 
the only reason that uh, jumps to your mind is that it is not about ideology, it's about something more. It's about geopolitics and competition, otherwise there is no explanation to this. But again, uh, being Russian diplomat in Washington, I assume it's a bit more different than being Russian diplomat in New York, because we work with the United Nations, and the United Nations is such a place where everybody speaks with everybody, regardless of bilateral relations. Uh, so maybe my colleagues, uh, as, as far as I hear, uh, have problems in accessing some institutions in, uh, in Washington bilaterally. But we don't have problems here in dealing with our American or British colleagues because we have some common agenda, we have some common things to promote, and uh, that makes us uh, come together and uh, leave aside our bilateral problems you know, uh, for the sake of international agenda. So again, uh, I don't think that I am in, uh, in the least favorable situation here in New York than elsewhere in the United States. So I had a look at your Twitter page, and your bio says that you hate lies and fake news. That's true. Why was it important for you to make that statement? Because we are now living in a kind of uh, post-truth world. That's a problem. People try to claim something, and uh, even when it is proven that it is not true, they don't even bother to say that, yes, we were wrong. And there are a lot of lies around my country, a lot of fake information, and people do not even bother to say that this information is fake. So uh, until recently, uh, the situation was kind of manageable, but uh, I think uh, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years ago, it has changed because of this highly likely criteria. So you don't now need to prove something, you just need to say it's highly likely that there is no other plausible explanation that it is used not only against Russia, it's used, uh, for example, recently, I can recall, it, is, it was used by uh, Mr. Bolton against Iran, and he said that we have almost no doubt that Iran is beyond uh, this attack against the tankers, but almost no doubt doesn't mean that it is proven. And because of this statement of Mr. Bolton, the next stage when somebody will be accusing Iran of something, they will already assume that the previous case was proven. In the case of my country, there are a lot of things that uh, we are being accused of. Uh, well, the most notorious and the most recent one is the so-called Skripal poisoning, when there are no proofs, absolutely, when nothing is proven, there is no logical explanation. But because of this highly likelies, it is already being classified as one of Russia's wrongdoing. On the other hand, if somebody comes with some news that would not be main mainstream news, something that would not be very much to the liking of the, uh, of the elite, they immediately label it propaganda. So anything mentioned on Russia today is uh, a priori considered to be Russian propaganda, even if we can prove that this is true. And uh, this reminds me also somehow of Soviet times, uh, when everything was, which was said on the other side of the ocean was considered to be propaganda. Uh, we need to an analyze any news that we have. I usually read uh, several news sources, not only Russia Today, of course. I read BBC, CNN, and uh, many other sources of information because they can be uh, biased, they can be one-sided, but if you get information from different sources, then you get the clear picture. Something less political that you wrote on your Twitter bio is that you are a dog lover. <laughs> Do you have your dog with you in New York City? Yes, my, I have a dachshund. I pronounce it correctly, the sausage dog. Yes, so sausage long-haired dog. He's adorable and uh, he's one year old. 
The name of my dog is uh, Chewbacca. Chewbacca? Yes, it was called not by me, but by the uh, the breeders in Russia. Chewbacca, and the short one is Chubby. Chewbacca, you know Chewbacca, of course. Yes, so that was his prototype. Maybe one of the best uh, moments in New York City is dealing with my dog. But the problem in New York City also that there are not so, not so many spaces where you can uh, we can walk with your dog unleashed. So if you really you want to do it, you need to go to Central Park uh, before 9 a.m. or after 9 p.m., which is not always uh, convenient. And so it's not really the city for the dogs. Uh, in Moscow, there are much more opportunities and possibilities, uh, but he stays with us. And, well, I like dogs because dogs are honest. Uh, dogs are much better than men, I think, and women. <laughs> uh, much, much better than humans uh, because they are sincere, they are good friends, uh, they, are, they are loyal, they will not betray you. So they have a lot of qualities that uh, you would uh, like to see in a friend, uh, but unfortunately people are not like this. So I, I'm very, very uh, angry if animals in general are treated badly. I think it's not very good for human beings to promote this kind of behavior because we are sort of superior and they are not. This is not the way that I approach things. That's why I'm a dog lover, yeah, really. Dogs are better than cats for me because cats are a bit secretive. I prefer dogs. I, I like animals in general. But you have your family as well. In your My wife is with me, yes. My wife is with me. My daughter is already grown up. She's in Moscow. Okay. And what about Russian food in New York City? Were you able to find any good one? Oh, there are two good Russian restaurants in New York City, and uh, one of them is very authentic. It is called Russian Samovar. One of my favorite uh, poets, Brodsky, was there. Another one is uh, Marivanna also. But the fact is that in New York City, the food is very much adapted to the liking of, of those who eat. If they try to produce uh, authentic food, it will not be in good demand because people will say, oh, I, we want something more greasy, for example, or more fatty. But in order to taste... Uh, authentic Russian food, you need to go either to Russia or, or to Russian mission. We have receptions there, yeah, and we serve authentic Russian food. So is there one thing you like about New York City and the United States that you can name? Well, I can't say that I dislike New York City, not at all. Uh, it's, a, it's a good place. Uh, one thing that I like about New York City, well, Central Park maybe, but New York is not America. I managed to, uh, to escape a couple of times out of New York City, and uh, America is very much different from New York. I like American people, I like to speak with them, they are very honest, they are very friendly, but uh, sometimes they are very ignorant and they are very brainwashed, unfortunately. But it's very easy for me to put pieces of puzzle that they miss in their brain and they kind of uh, understand better our motivation, what we do and what we do not do. It's normal because uh, Moscow is not Russia. It's very diverse. America is a very diverse country. Russia is a very diverse country. So I would say that maybe if I had the choice where to work in the United States, uh, I wouldn't choose New York, frankly speaking. What would you choose? Oh, I haven't traveled around, so I need to see. But uh, I like something which is closer to nature. But again, I'm not here for, for vacation. I'm here to work. And uh, for me, my working place is the headquarters of United Nations. And uh, it's always good weather here. People are very friendly. Uh, that's why I'm quite satisfied with this. In August, in Russia, there was an explosion. And I think now the number is seven people died. So what has Russia learned, you think, from Chernobyl today in terms of how they dealt with, because this is also a nuclear But this, this is different. this is a different thing because this happened during some tests. 
and uh, well we regret very much uh, what happened and of course uh, we should have avoided it but unfortunately those people who usually participate in such tests they are aware of the danger it's not that uh, you live uh, quietly in some village and then a nuclear power plant explodes and your life is uh, changed forever these people like people who are sent to space they understand that there is theoretical uh, and sometimes practical possibility that they will not return that's why they run this enormous risk that's why they are being paid for they are being compensated uh, it affects of course uh, their nerves their health and so on and so forth so these people uh, were there specifically for the testing and they understood all the danger and uh, unfortunately such things happen now uh, according to all the measurements uh, the danger for the population is not there of course we will try to avoid such situations in the future but uh, every country when they want to test some new technologies they always have this risk and such incidents uh, happen uh, happened not only in soviet union but in the united states as well in europe so nobody is uh, protected but it looks like for a few days, uh, people who lived nearby did not have a lot of information. Is that correct? But their life was not in danger. There was absolutely no reasons uh, to, to worry about it. It was a very f short time spike of radiation and uh, it di didn't leave any residues. So would this event have happened, you think, if the United States and Russia still had a treaty on nuclear forces? It's very difficult for me to answer uh, because uh, I frankly uh, I'm not aware of uh, what was tested and uh, what happened because I just don't have uh, clearance to get this information. The kind of weapons that was presented by our president some time ago, it does not violate the existing uh, Russian-American treaties. And we really had to do this, uh, had to make these precautions because of the attitude of the United States, because of the politics of the United States. Uh, we have to be absolutely sure that we will be able to defend ourselves uh, and to, to defend our allies. Unfortunately, that's not the logic that we would promote, and that's not the logic that we were trying to promote for many years already. But uh, that's the logic that the Americans do promote. Uh, and uh, we have to answer to such steps and to such politics. So I'm quite sure that the new weapons will be tested. It doesn't mean that we will threaten anybody, but we should be ready. How would you like the U.S. to behave in terms of nuclear weapon and the treaty that just expired? The U.S. has uh, already uh, undermined almost everything that was in our arsenal for many years since uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union. I think only the, the START three treaty is still uh, in force, but uh, according to the hints that were made by uh, Mr. Bolton, uh, United States do not care very much about this treaty as well. So we understand that the United States uh, is not interested in uh, curbing arms race. We would of course prefer a world when uh, everybody would be sticking to the treaties, uh, to some rules, but that's not the plan of our American partners. So we have to adapt. I think that the world would have won if the uh, United States would not uh, impose uh, a role of uh, world policemen on themselves, trying to meddle in any crisis in the world, uh, in any country of the world, and uh, presenting this as something justifiable that they need to do for the sake of humanity or human rights or environment, so I don't know what. We had some illusion at a certain point of time that uh, that was the trend, and there were direct uh, messages from the United States that they were kind of rethinking their role in the world 
and uh, willing to cooperate and to support uh, multilateral efforts. But unfortunately, it didn't come true, so, so we have what we have. What do you consider is the current biggest geopolitical threat to Russia right now? Single geopolitical threat? The efforts to present uh, Russia as a rogue state, as a country that undermines everybody's well-being, as a country that's trying to split uh, Western alliance, to challenge Western values and priorities. We have to prove, we have to be very vigilant, we have to be very industrious in the way that we would make our point, because the mainstream uh, Western propaganda is trying to, to portray my country in the way that is not true. That's the main challenge, because it's kind of situation that would affect the development of the world for many years. Not only Russia is in this situation, I think that now China is almost being treated in the same way, and there are a lot of things that are not true about China. There are so many lies and so much fake news that it's very difficult for ordinary person who doesn't have some first-hand experience of dealing with Russia uh, to think that we are a normal state and that we are not meaning bad for everybody in the world. That's that's the main problem. I see. I, I live here and I am very much astonished of the way our country is being presented and by the way that fellow citizen of this country and Western countries can have the impression about my country. At this point in the interview, I jump in. I'm off mic, so I'll tell you what I asked. It's clear that Russia's point of view, according to Ambassador Polanski, is that the way the global order is right now, Russia just isn't getting a fair shake. So what's their game plan? We're not living in a bipolar world of the Cold War anymore, and some people think that between the rise of China and America's retreat from multilateralism, that American global leadership is at best under threat and at worst in an irreversible decline. With that as a backdrop, I wanted to know, what's Russia's goal? What is their ideal pecking order in 10 or 20 years? And his answer surprised me. It's multilateralism. It's a very easy answer. It's multilateralism. It means that there are multipolars and they are not limited. Uh, it's not about uh, US, China, Russia. And it's not about making friends against somebody. So we are very good partners with China. We understand each other quite well. But at the same time, we understand that China has uh, a lot of interests in the US. Uh, it has enormous trade. It has enormous economic interests. And we're not jealous. We're not saying to the Chinese, look, please don't be friends with the United States because you are friends with us. We're, we feel that in nowadays world, uh, everybody can cooperate. Uh, there are so many challenges in the world that uh, need to be tackled with common efforts, starting from fight with terrorism, which is a good slogan, but we should be conducted uh, together, and going to environment, to some uh, issues of health uh, and development, of course. So we need to make enormous efforts all together, for example, for Africa, because Africa faces enormous demographic challenges, and we need to change this. Otherwise, we will uh, face the situation when there will be more and more migrants and more and more problems coming from Africa. But how can we do it if when we propose uh, some uh, po positive agenda for Africa based on cooperation, Chinese propose also a positive agenda for Africa built on partnership, on investment, on uh, many, many other things. And then uh, Americans, uh, French, uh, Brits criticizing us. They say, well, Russia is meddling, China is meddling. Uh, okay, let's work together. We're not, af we're not afraid of competition. Let's work together. But they don't want to. They're just saying that what we propose is bad. 
it's for I don't know what corruption of course this is kind of synonym of Russia in the West but you ask African countries what they want and you will see their reaction they they ask uh, always for the help from from Russia and China because what we do we don't have any any hidden agenda so that's the approach that should be done everybody can really make a uh, contribution to the development of today's world uh, to the partnerships the uh, United Nations is the best possible platform for such cooperation that's why we value very much the the United Nations that's why my job is important here if you listen to what Americans are saying here even from the rostrum of of United Nations you will see that their understanding of multilateralism is absolutely different from our understanding of multilateralism it's not relations of equal to equal but it's kind of coalition of the willing if you are with us then you're a good guy if you are with them then you're a bad guy so them for the time being is russia china i don't know north korea syria iran so kind of bad states uh, and they try to create this association us is democratic western world but this is so primitive and this is so black and white and uh, this is uh, something that would lead to big big problems in this country and elsewhere and this is what really prevents us from uh, from fostering the partnerships that we need to tackle uh, the problems of the world excellent well thank you so much ambassador for being with us today and best of luck with the presidency thank you thank you for you and uh, i wish you all the best This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, and reported by Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent, women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulce Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.